0: With Wings Productions presents Chapter 14 of the Skylark Bell Skydive. I'm your host, Melissa Oliveri. In last week's episode, Farfalla and James brought Elizabeth to stay with Paloma in preparation for their trip to Scotland. In today's episode, we read Chapter 14, Look to the Sky, in which James and Farfalla make their way to the Isle of Skye to claim Carnifex House. Today's podcast partner is Murder Road Trip, also members of the BOOPOD Network of Paranormal and True Crime Podcasts. This podcast takes listeners on a weekly road trip across the United States to discuss true crime and the occasional spooks through each of the 50 states. Check the show notes for a link to the Murder Road Trip podcast. Now you know what to do. It's time to settle in, grab a blanket, and a warm drink, and let's get started. August 17th, 1932. I started missing Elizabeth the moment our train pulled away from the city. I thought of her the entire ride to the coast. Crossing the ocean on the ship felt absolutely endless, The waves made me queasy and unsteady on my legs, even after we finally reached the shore nearly two weeks later. The train ride across the stunning landscape of mainland Scotland helped ease my woes a bit. James and I spent a romantic night in Glasgow, walking the cobblestone streets and enjoying a lovely dinner before retreating to our hotel room. The next morning, I bought a postcard at the hotel gift shop and mailed it off to Paloma. Then we went to the small cafe across the street where we were served a proper Scottish breakfast. At noon, we packed up our suitcases and headed to the station to catch a train to the coastal town of Schmirach. Upon our arrival, we went directly to the boarding house. The owners, Mr. and Mrs. Harrier, were very kind. Their daughter, Callie, immediately offered me a bouquet of wildflowers. Her curly auburn hair reminded me of Elizabeth's and my mother's heart soared the rest of the day. The Harriers gave us a tour of the village, and we enjoyed dinner with them at a local pub called the Copper Hen. They explained the fairy schedule and told us old folk tales from the region that involved a myriad of mystical creatures like fairies and selkies and sirens. I went to bed with images of girls dancing on the beach with wildflower crowns in their auburn hair swirling in my head. I wonder what Elizabeth has been dreaming about. Now it is morning, and we must take the ferry. I cannot bear the thought of getting on another boat. The sickening smell of the sea makes my stomach churn. I am having some regrets about this trip. It has been wonderful for James and I to find our way back to each other once again, but I didn't realize my soul would ache for Elizabeth like this and I didn't realize the deep-rooted fear of water that is in me. I hear the sound of the fairy horn now, and the boat has shifted away from the shore. At least we have almost reached our destination. It won't be long now, only a few hours. Setting foot on the shore will bring me great relief. Farfalla grips the railing tightly and stares out at the endless stretch of water ahead crossing shouldn't take much more than an hour. Only a fraction of the travel she and James have endured to get to this point. James is accustomed to traveling for work. This trip has not consumed him with worry and exhaustion the way it has for Farfalla. The woman at the ticket counter mentioned an award-winning bakery in the village. What do you say we head there first when we reach the island, he asks, gently rubbing his hand along her back. Farfalla turns to James and smiles. Despite her feelings about the trip itself, spending time alone with James has allowed them to rekindle their relationship. Whatever their future may hold, she is glad she will be sharing it with him. And Elizabeth, of course. That sounds wonderful, she whispers, leaning in for a kiss. They turn to look back out at the sea, standing side by side on the deck of the ferry as it cuts through the choppy waters. James points to a point far ahead and says, I see land. We're getting closer. Farfalla squints, and sure enough, she can see a dark mass rising out of the water straight ahead. The ferry plows through the water, steadily bringing them closer and closer to the island. Tall, jagged cliffs eventually come into view, rising from either side of a small port, with docks reaching out of it like outstretched fingers. Farfalla feels relief wash over her, and she is stunned at the realization that deep down inside, she didn't think they would actually make it. She had pushed the thought to the deepest reaches of her subconscious, but it was always there. She scans the shoreline, noting the white houses haphazardly strewn across the green fields. She sees fishing boats bobbing close to the shore, and a flock of gulls circling close to the docks, probably looking to score some food left behind by the fishermen. Her eyes travel to the base of the cliffs, and she watches the waves crash repeatedly against the rock. She lets her gaze run up the rock to the top of the cliff and gasps as she sees a woman standing at the very edge, her arm stretched behind her as far as it will go. Recognition sets in almost immediately. It is the same woman she saw walking out of Priscilla Ponseroy's room all those years ago, the woman who looks just like her. Farfalla's eyes grow wide as the woman swings her arm forward and flings something over the cliff's edge with all her might. The sun reflects off the surface of the object as it spirals down toward the crashing waves. Farfalla instinctively grabs James's arm and points to the woman with her other hand. James, confused, looks down at Farfalla's hand, feeling the searing pain of her death grip shoot up his arm to his shoulder. He glances at her face and follows her pointing finger to look up at the cliff. He sees tall grass blowing in the breeze on top of the wall of rock. Fala, what is it? he asks, puzzled. The woman, she begins. Just then, the object hits the ocean. The water, the boat, the cliffs, the entire island, perhaps the entire world, heaves, and James is ripped away from her grasp. She can feel herself soaring through the air, like in slow motion. She hears the sickening crack of the boat being torn to shreds, followed by the screams and splashing of people being thrown into the sea. The smell of burning wood fills the air, mixing with the salty scent of the sea. Her eyes focus on the blue sky above her, the wispy clouds floating overhead, completely oblivious to the horror occurring below. Farfalla gasps as her body hits the icy water. She sinks below the surface before she can comprehend what is happening. Panicked, she shifts her head from side to side, looking for help. Something. Someone. Anyone. She regains control of her body and thrashes her arms around, battling against the undertow, trying to make her way back to the surface but the current pulls her deeper and deeper underwater, spinning her body around like a rag doll. Finally, she feels herself sink into the sandy bottom of the sea, her arms stretched out on either side. Her fingers brush up against an object in the sand nearby, and she grasps it with what little strength she has left. She looks up toward the surface of the water and sees the sun's rays piercing their way through to caress her face. On the other side of the world, in the field in front of Meadow Lane, the oak tree emits a silent sound, a song that no one hears. The sound waves carry across the ocean and plunge to its depths, wrapping themselves around Farfalla's body as her white gown and red hair float softly around her. She gives up her fight then and releases the last breath of air from her lungs with one word, Elizabeth. She closes her eyes, shutting out the sun, and lets the darkness fall over her, just like in her dream. Thank you so much for listening. Join me next week for Chapter 15, The Dark, The Day, in which we find out what happened to Farfalla after the horrific accident. The Skylark Bell is brought to you by Phaeton Starling Publishing and features original music by Canel. If you are enjoying this story, please consider leaving a rating or a review. They're both greatly appreciated. You can also support my work by subscribing to Patreon or Ko-fi, where you get early access to ad-free episodes, as well as digital downloads of the music and so much more. You can also find exclusive merch on my website theskylarkbell.com. Just check the show notes for all necessary links. Once again, thank you for listening. I'm Melissa Oliveri, and this is the Skylark Bell Podcast.